you are listening to The Indie Says Operator, the podcast where we interview founders who are actually in the trenches. We talk about the transparent journey of how they build their SaaS companies, how they grow them, and what they would do differently if they would do it all over. Hey folks, with us today, Stefan Wirth, co-founder of Swift Brief. Stefan, super happy to have you. Thanks for having me. Cool. So you have a bit of a different starter story for Swift Brief as you bought it and not build it from scratch. How did you make that decision? So we've been doing projects from scratch for six months, like a year before. And I think what we've noticed is that we tend to um, basically have a hard time, you know, to find something that people really want. I think that's a common problem and there's something that people are not only want, but also are willing to pay for and that can reach a certain scale. So when someone uh, on Twitter, Arrigo is a guy who originally built it. He basically reached out and said, I want to sell um, this product. I was like, yeah, it looks like it is a big enough market and it looks like you already put a lot of work into it and why not try it? And I think it's something, you know, taking out that risk of going from zero to one and building something that uh, doesn't have a market. I think that's very interesting. Um, and that's just our kind of, you know, sandbox project to try that out and see if that it's actually something that we like to do. Uh, and if, you know, that is like a good fit for us. And I think that's kind of, yeah, what it is right now, like more of a sandbox to, to give that a try. Okay. So can you tell us a bit of what Swift Brief actually does? So Swift Brief is a content brief, uh, generator. Uh, it helps, uh, SEO agencies to basically delegate or it basically helps companies via agencies mostly to delegate their content efforts, like content writing at scale. And it basically removes the manual uh, labor that people you know, do now to pull together content briefs, which form the basis of an article, right? Like if you have a writer and you want to get an article written, it's, it's good if you can uh, provide a lot of context about the brand and a lot of detail around the research and keywords and things like that. And that's just what we basically automate for you. And then we create an outline that can be filled out by a writer. That's what it, what it does. Yeah. Got it. Got it. And then maybe going back to the acquisition part, because I think especially like in the last year or two, it felt like it's getting more and more popular to buy instead of build, even for bootstrappers. So how, where did you actually find that deal? Just like via Twitter or did you find on like something like microacquire or I think that now called acquire.com or how did you get in, in contact with the Swift B founder? Yeah, so that was just on Twitter. Um, it wasn't even that I was looking. I think I just came across it and I came across it like quite late. So he just tweeted like, yeah, I have something else now and I don't have time to fully like commit to Swift Brief and put enough time into it. And I came across that tweet two weeks later or something. And he, he had already like shut it down and the customer that he had, like he had one paying customer, but he had a, a more users. Um, he refunded because he started with a lifetime deal. And so he basically shut it down. And then I, I reached out too late. And after that, we, you know, he didn't have anyone that wanted it at that point. So I was like, okay, let's still kind of make this happen because I think it's, it's worth, worth a try. So it was basically an off-market deal, meaning he wasn't actively trying to sell, but you just saw, okay, he, it looks like he's abandoning the project or isn't that interested in it. So it might be a good ask to see if he's willing to sell. 
Well, I mean, he wasn't selling it, yes. And I, I guess, you know, calling an acquisition is a bit of a stretch because we did pay some money for it, right? But it wasn't like a lot. Not a it major was only like yeah. taking over the domain and like paying for, for the domain. Um, and then the rest, he basically just was like, yeah, it's, he w- he's a marketer, so he's not a technical guy. So the code base was buggy and he didn't want to go through all the effort and like listing it on MicroQuire and something like that. And MicroQuire, I guess, is all, or Acquire, sorry, is also um, more interested if you have more customers, right? I think they have some criteria of what you can list. Uh, and so he didn't want to go through that trouble, but he wanted someone to kind of, you know, give it in someone's hands that he thinks those are good hands that can take care of the, the product and kind of grow it and like realize its potential. And that's kind of what he, I guess, saw with us, right? And so that's, um, he, he was willing to just give it away basically, right? Understood, understood. And now you have a couple of customers and a couple of hundred euros in MRR. How did you, like, what were the first things you did after acquiring it to to get there? So like, how did you take it over and like restart the whole thing? So in the beginning, uh, it was a lot of technical setup because I said it was already taken down, right? So it was like creating the infrastructure again and like re redoing the CMS that's powering a lot of this of the landing page and things like that. So that was like a bit of bit of work. And then what I did was um, I actually recently made a video on this. I went out and asked the people on Twitter that follow me kind of like, okay, who, who, who could be a customer of this tool, right? Like I went out and I was like, who uses SEO and who is interested in like a tool that helps them kind of scale that content marketing effort. And I got a couple people reaching out and from all of those people, one of them was uh, Flavio, who is now for the tool our kind of marketing partner. So he is basically the like, ideal customer for the tool because he owns an SEO agency and he, you know, the, the value metric of the tool is kind of how many briefs per month do you have. And he has around two to 300 briefs per month, which is a lot, right? Uh, and he is basically our ideal customer that knows the pain and has the the biggest pain and he helps us improve the product but also he helps us market it to his own audience that is a lot of seo agency owners themselves or just people interested in seo because that's kind of the audience that he's built up around it and i got that idea from um yeah basically what tweet hunter did right so they went out and they were techies and they got a partner like a ghostwriting partner or a marketing partner that helped them like scale and i think that because I've, you know, built up an audience myself, even though it's not huge, but I have like 3,000 something like that followers, uh, I knew that that could be a good way to get like some early stage sales and get like those first 10, customers, right? And I think that's why instead of doing it myself, because I've noticed this, this takes a long time, like I've been doing it for a year and it's not something that goes overnight, right? I was like, yeah, we can do that ourselves, but obviously why not? get someone else and that already has that and then incentivize them uh, via like a profit share, right? Like we have both have skin in the game and they're incentivized uh, to make the thing grow because both will profit from it, right? So that's kind of the the alignment uh, that we set up and it's been working pretty well. I think it's hard to attribute sometimes um, where the, the customers come from, but I'm quite sure that they are directly through him or someone else that has heard of us through him right so he, he's been doing um 
Twitter, but also he has a newsletter basically that he's started setting up after the started. And then there he will kind of talk about SEO briefing related things, but also just um, as a featured tool, he'll have the, the free, free version of the tools and those will consistently drive traffic as the newsletter grows, right? Yeah, just to double click on that. So it's not a typical like affiliate partnership, but he's actually, it's like a deeper partnership where he actually has like a profit share on the whole thing um, and even like long-term or like how did you structure that if if you're open to share and if you can share that? Yeah. Just to make it more tactical. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's not an affiliate deal. It is literally almost like, you know, he's a founder of the company. And what, how we structure is basically we have a longer term deal. I think it's 18 months um, with a classic just kind of, you know, vesting period, you know, and he will earn his share over time. That's kind of how vesting works, right? So there's a bit of a cliff to just have a trial period. And then there's like a vesting period. And then after that vesting period, he'll just get that profit share um, going forward. And basically, um, we, we did it that way because we also wanted him to be, you know, like fully involved. And he also now has it in his profile and he's like, yeah, I'm building Swift Brief, right? And we wanted that to be um, not a classic like affiliate deal, more like a real joint venture almost, right? This episode is brought to you by ReactSquad.io, the boutique React agency for SaaS startups. If your front-end team is overwhelmed and you need more hands on deck, Go to reactsquad.io and get a React.js developer embedded in your team in less than seven days. Got it, got it. And then, then switching gears a bit because like AI is like everybody's talking about it right now, but I think especially in content creation, it's a big thing, a big topic. And you, let's just say you integrated ChatGPT and it's like some interesting experiences with that. Can you Can you tell us a bit about like, why you integrated AI into Swift Brief and then how it's currently like the honest truth of how it actually is to, to work with, with that tool right now or with that integration? Uh, so interestingly, GPT was already there, right? Like it was already integrated. It was not Chat GPT, but it was uh, GPT-3 completion, which is a bit of a different API, but it, you know, it's kind of the same. Same technology, almost just that it doesn't, I think, have shared context. So it doesn't build up context as you give it more information. Um, so there was no real decision there. But I think especially the outlining part is quite, um, you know, like we're not writing articles, but we're writing the outline for you. So that part um, lends itself pretty well to that kind of technology because it's, you know, something that is a common use case people also do with ChatGPT, right? All we like what we do is we just basically give it more context and almost build like a super prompt with all the keyword related information and like frequently asked questions and like SERP, you know, like search engine results page data. So we just enhance that kind of prompt and give it a lot of information to make the outline more specific, for example, for what kind of um, content format is ranking, like what is like top top 10 the most popular content format is it a listicle or is it just a blog post and then that will kind of influence the outline for example right so there's things we do with that and i think um so there was no real decision we just kept what was there and we updated it to be like ChatGPT api and i think that's a uh, that's where ai can help the most you know to do like the grunt work 
the actual writing because it's not like it's going to stay like that. People are going to like the writers is going to like fill it out with more information, right? And, and enhance as they go. And I think that's, you know, where we see ourselves right now. Um, and yeah, with, with open AI, uh, you know, I guess what we're referring to is what we talked about before us, but it's more, it's like, it is definitely noticeable that it's like a kind of beta stage technology, right? Like I think integrating with it is very simple, but we've had some problems recently around like the responses just being super slow or just error messages that shouldn't be error messages and things like that. But I guess it's kind of like the, you know, I mean, they're, they're what DJ Khaled likes to say, like suffering from success, you know, I think they're, <laughs> they're definitely um, having a lot to do on their end. So I kind of understand, but obviously that doesn't necessarily help me create a more stable product. But I think that's something when you, what you should expect. I think when you integrate with something that's this unstable, more or less, right? Uh, just because it's still quite early for that kind of stuff. But I hope that um, we can either work around that. So we're, you know, doing some technical work now to um, migrate off of a provider that will limit or um, request times and things like that. So there's some technical things we can do to, to work around it and we're working on it as we speak. And just identifying other things that are inside our control, right, that we can do to, to work around it. And then, I mean, I, have a, I actually have a friend who, who launched a product on Product Hunt that was building on top of uh, ChatGPT as well. And they had a four-hour outage or something on that Ouch. day when they launched. And I just heard Oof. their launch so bad. And it was it's just something, you know, where I was like, okay, immediately thinking of what options are there to fall back to some other API in, in case that happens again, because it, it can and it will, right? The question is just like, when? Um, so that's definitely something I'm looking at. I'm, I'm not sure how expensive it is to you know, set something similar up yourself via like open source tools or something, but that is probably where we have the most control. But obviously I, you know, just from what I think, how it works, right. I'm, I'm not an expert on that specific topic. I think uh, it will require a lot of resources on our end. So if we're at a small scale, it doesn't make that much sense to, you know, spin up a thousand dollar per month server to make 50 bucks you know so <laughs> we'll we'll have to we'll have to wait a bit but um yeah just just different options that we're exploring to kind of work around this yeah and then again like looking a bit more in the future what's the plan going forward is it just like focusing and growing swift brief is it potentially after those 18 months even like selling it and doing like the, the mini PE case or what's, what's your plan for it? Honestly, the plan, so how, I can just be transparent, but the plan was on like selling it, right? But I think the, the, the timeline that we set was a bit too optimistic in the beginning because we we're like, yeah, it's not going to take that long. And once we took the project over, we actually noticed, okay, there's a lot more to this that uh, needs exploring. And the more we kind of think about it, the more, I guess, in the in the short term, it makes sense to just keep it for a bit longer and just kind of make it go to a stage where it actually makes sense to sell. And because we're not, you know, like we kind of want to dabble a bit with like a PE case, but we also could just be a holding company based on kind of, you know, because we're bootstrapping and it's like our own money, we don't necessarily have outside incentives that are um, 
pushing us in a certain direction, right? Like if I would raise external money and the only way for the shareholder to make the return is if we sell in an exit scenario, then we're kind of locked into that path, right? Where we're okay, and now we, we either sell or the shareholder doesn't get their return, which doesn't go, it's not going to make them happy, right? Um, but yeah, we don't really have that. And because uh, with, with this uh, case, uh, Flavio, he also has both, right? Like he has a profit share and he has like a share in the exit, the potential exit. So he gets incentivized either way, right? So it doesn't, to him, I mean, obviously we need to talk about it and align the shareholders there, but I think he's very open to explore both uh, as long as, you know, there is a return. And I think what we're going to be looking at is kind of like couple of, couple of factors. It's like, okay, you never want to be in a position where you have to sell, right? Because that's just like too much pressure and you have to have to do it. So I think we're trying to keep the options open, but we're going to look at like, How's the team motivated to keep this growing? How much can we grow it? Is it better, you know, to look for some strategic partner with more resources that can take it to the next level? Um, how, you know, how motivated are we uh, in, in keeping going? And then also just like, um, yeah, just a bunch of these factors. How much cash flow is it? Like, is it? Do we want to invest in something new and something bigger? Do we need to sell? Because I think with cash flow, uh, you can necessarily unlock the next bet easily because a lot of it will go back into the, the company itself growing it or just um, the, the, the stakeholders like employees and things like that right so I think um, yeah a lot a lot of question marks really and I think we're just kind of figuring out figuring it out as we, as we speak but initially just the goal to kind of you know wrap this up the goal was to to sell it um, to make that case. Um, but now, you know, as we onboard more more stakeholders, we think that there might be a bigger opportunity, and that to go after that, it will require more time. And so we're, you know, keeping it open. But you're still going after like the the portfolio building case, meaning building like a, a mini mini Berkshire Hathaway or like tiny capital in our industry, or do you just like dabble with it and then if if that sticks, you would fully focus on on only like one specific says, for example, Swift Brief. I think what we're doing now is we're trying that portfolio approach. I think that's something we tend to prefer in terms of, you know, I like specifically me, I like to work on different projects, uh, not necessarily at the same time, but like focus on different things and kind of switch it up. So I really enjoy that kind of portfolio approach. But I think even else in that case, you know, we're open to double down on something if it clearly makes sense where our limiting factor is the, the fact that we're not focused on it enough. But what, I, what, we're, what I'm doing right now um, is in the background. So we have these, this venture studio, Parallect, uh, good friends of mine from, from, from Twitter, <laughs> not necessarily uh, real life friends we know each other, but we met on Twitter. And I'm getting them invested into basically the holding. And then they help us with like developer resources and like product execution resources. And we take more of a strategy seat, you know, and so we can oversee different like two projects at a time. I think that's kind of our limit right now where we really can focus. Um, and then having help with, you know, hands-on execution and developer and product designers and things like that. That's kind of what we're tri trialing, I would say. And with Swift Brief, what's nice is that 
for all this stuff, it's just a sandbox for us, you know, like we didn't, we didn't spend two years up front, like building it, we got it. And now we're just, you know, throwing stuff at it and see what sticks and what's like fun and what's like actually something we enjoy doing, because I think that's what I want to optimize for, right? It's like, what, what do I enjoy, you know, doing and what makes me kind of happy in a, in a reasonable capacity, you know, like I'm not gonna I don't know, sit down and, and paint <laughs> because that's not going <laughs> to make me any money, but you know what I mean? Right. So yeah. I think, um, that's kind of, yeah, just optionality, like keeping open as many options as possible. But if there is clear science, like we have regular reflection meetings and we have regular, you know, like retros and goal setting meetings and things where we ask ourselves like, okay, should we commit more resources to this or this, or what should we do next? And I think as long as you have a process for, for doing that, I think that will help you, um, yeah, kind of just make sense, sense of it. Right. And yeah, if, if, you know, I'm not, I'm not set to do a PE or do a holding, you know, if this project takes off and it makes a lot of sense to just commit to it for two, three years and then sell it right or something like that then yeah we can we can do that because that's the thing like i'm trying to set it up in a way where we can do that because we have the options to do it and not not are not locked in a 20-year deal somewhere where now the only up we only have one option which is like doing everything at the same time kind of like that right so it's about freedom and flexibility basically yeah, I think we're we're really trying to to optimize for for that. Awesome! I think that's a that's a perfect uh, point to to wrap it up. Then, Stefan, thanks a ton again for coming on. Thanks for having me. If you like this episode, you will love our newsletter, The SaaS Operator by Early Note. Get actionable insights from SaaS veterans like Patrick Campbell, Christoph Jans, and Corey Haynes right into your inbox. Your five minute read every Tuesday for free. Go to allnot.com and subscribe for free.